0: Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, our guest today on
1: Carolina Newsmakers is Dale R. Falwell, who was elected as North Carolina's 28th treasurer in 2016 and recently reelected to serve another term. Uh, Treasurer Falwell has been with us a number of times. He oversees more than $90 billion in pension investments for the more than 950,000 teachers firefighters and public employees in the state. And of course, uh, he uh, manages all the other aspects of uh, he's the purse keeper, so to speak. And Dale, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, And uh, we always uh, like to talk money with you. Uh, The first question I always ask the state treasurer, is there any money in the bank account?
2: Well, there's lots of money in the bank account. And uh, I'm glad within the first 30 seconds, I get a chance to correct you on your own show. But uh, we're at 119 billion dollars in the pension plan now uh, very pleased well, now, to support
1: that we, we may have to let jason we're going to have to fire jason because he's the one that gave me that number
2: i know but uh, 119 billion that's uh, about 30 billion over uh what it was valued at when i was uh, uh honored to be selected as the state treasurer of north carolina and keep the public purse and As you know all too well, Don, it's not just what the value of something is versus where it was, it's what it it has paid out uh, since then. So it's not only up $30 billion in the last four and a half years, but there's been over $25 billion of gross benefits paid out during that period of time.
1: That's an incredible amount of money. And of course, one of the things I think that we were all afraid when the pandemic hit us uh, last March. We were afraid that things like uh, pension investments and so forth were going to suffer. We actually uh, not uh, fared so badly there.
2: Well, it did suffer. Uh, If we were, uh, which we did, having this conversation between St. Patrick's and July 4th of last year, uh, most pension plans around the world lost tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars during that period of time. And North Carolina's pension plan stood tall. We had one of the lowest risk highest performance periods last year. And the reason is that this plan has never swung for the fences. Uh, Previous state treasurers have never pretended to have a crystal ball. They have never gambled with the hardworking assets of those that teach, protect, and otherwise serve. And that's why this plan stood tall uh, when others were collapsing between St. Patrick's and July 4th of last year.
1: So uh, overall, are, is the pension, uh, are the values, the, the residual value of the pension up or down from pre-pandemic conditions?
2: Oh, it's up tremendously uh, since pre-pandemic. Yeah. But once again, it's not, just, it's not just the fact that it's up, you know, $10 billion, but we paid out, uh, we're, we're paying out about uh, $8 billion a year in gross benefits. So it's not just the value is up, the value is up less net of the benefits we're paying out and we're getting ready to pay out benefits next week uh, for those that teach protected or otherwise served and uh, that payout next week is going to be about 550 million dollars just for 30 days
1: well that's uh i, I know the citizens uh, those who are depending on this pension plan are so thankful for your careful management uh, management of this plan Let's talk a little bit about the COVID-19 impact in other areas of the state that you have uh, some interest in. The rural counties have all uh, been affected more than the metropolitan areas in North Carolina. Just how are they uh, uh, how many counties do we have that uh, are having difficulties, and, and what do you see happening as a result of these uh, uh, shortfalls?
2: Well, I'll be glad to explain that. But uh, before doing so, uh, it's very important when we talk about these pension returns that for your listeners to know that uh, our pension plan before anyone had heard of COVID was designated by one of the rating agencies as being the number one pension plan in the United States in terms of its ability to stay funded during an economic downturn. Who could have ever predicted COVID? So uh, and secondly, as far as these returns are concerned, I'm just the person reporting this to you, obviously I'm standing on the shoulders of a lot of hard-working people in the investment management division here in the treasurer's office. Getting back to your <clears throat> most recent question, uh, one of the 21 major duties and responsibilities I have as the state treasurer and keeper of the public purse is I chair something called the local government commission. Now hopefully your listeners don't wake up thinking about the local government commission. <coughs> they think about how to best educate your kids, how to have economic mobility, upward mobility in their life. How to, how to do the normal things. How to have safe uh, streets. But the local government commission was founded after the depression, and after the bankruptcy of Asheville, North Carolina, and the LGC, uh, which I chair the LGC board, was founded to, as a regulator, so to speak, of nearly thirteen hundred entities. These are. The hundred counties, the five hundred and forty cities, the water and sewer districts, universities, hospitals, airport authorities, uh, things of that nature. So, this, what,
1: year was, it, <laughs> what year was what was that funded? Neil? Sorry, what was the year of the foundation of the uh, formation of this commission?
2: Well, I would say it's probably the year you were born, nineteen thirty-six, but uh, I may have missed it by a few years, but. Uh, you did. <laughs>
1: not, not uh, unfortunately not, not by enough but uh, <laughs> not by enough.
2: But uh, it was formed uh, and uh, we were the only state that had one for decades and uh, something we're very proud of we get called every month about people who are interested in what we've done at the LGC but going back to- well, the
1: reason I brought that point up was you said <laughs> it was formed after the uh, bankruptcy of Asheville that was way back that's not a recent bankruptcy
2: after the depression right
1: yeah, yeah 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 okay and uh, i just want to
2: yeah well thank you for clarifying that but uh the reason i'm concerned about rural north carolina which was the point of your question is that it's fantastic to have a strong torso you know you can't survive with just a strong torso but i consider the rural north carolina to be the arms and legs of, of our state and uh what has happened to rural north carolina has been a revolution i mean an evolution it's it's Everybody blames everything on COVID, but the fact is, these trends, uh, where a major manufacturer or major employer left, uh, the community is starting to depopulate, the cost of running these communities are going up, therefore the expenses are spread amongst fewer and fewer people, which forces more people to leave. (laughs) This is a very serious situation that we have to consider at the local government commission. So... Unfortunately, just over the last year, we've had to take over several towns where we're actually running the towns Roversonville and, and um, Eureka, for example. Well, <clears throat> we just recommended that uh, East Warrenburg uh, be de-chartered, which means de-incorporated. We've taken over uh, in the west, Cliffside and, and uh, Kingstown. Uh, so unfortunately, we have uh, over 100 units that are on what we call the unit assistance list that there's some issue regarding the way they're governed their inability to reconcile the books and or get qualified get uh, clean audits done and so we're very concerned that uh, this is happening Uh, we know it's been happening for a very long period of time and and that's why we're working very closely with the school government as well as the league of municipalities and the uh, County Commissioner Association and the local representatives and um, members of the Senate who represent these areas uh, from the North Carolina Legislature. And, and uh, we're just trying to figure out what's right, get it right, and keep it right on behalf of these uh, people who live with these citizens of these communities.
1: Well, it's an interesting state as we've mentioned so many times on this program, because so many of our areas are growing like wildfire, like Wally Durham, Area the Mecklenburg County area, the Triad, the Greenville area, Wilmington, the Nashville, and yet other parts of the of the state are actually, in many cases, losing population, but certainly losing influence in the General Assembly and the and the upcoming uh, redistricting that will come about because of the census is going to give those areas even less representation in the uh, House and the Senate. So, how do you think the state's going to, uh, uh, you know, take care of these? these slower moving and slower growing areas. Well,
2: the first thing I think needs to continue to occur, and we do this. at The culture of the state treasurer's office is to is not only to bring transparency to these issues, but but have the courage to challenge assumptions. You know, that's what's what's wrong with our society these days, uh, Doctor uh, Curtis, as I now have to refer to you as. Uh, congratulations on that uh see my initials are dr fallwell so that's the closest i'm ever going to get to being the doctor uh but uh uh anyway uh you may have heard this from me before you know the blood that runs through me is quaker and one of the spices of the quaker religion is to be fair and just and we don't pick and choose which laws to apply or who to apply them to and that's why i say as the state treasurer it doesn't matter uh, what happens with redistricting or loss of <coughs> political influence in rural North Carolina? Uh, I am keenly and focused as is our staff on the real situation that's happening there uh, in rural North Carolina, especially to the east. And uh, it, as former Governor Martin, who I know you're a big fan of, has always told us, uh, doing right is rarely wrong, and focusing on rural North Carolina. And making sure that those communities have access to quality education, have access to accessible, affordable quality health care, and which ultimately means they have access to capital, money, the ability to borrow money for infrastructure needs. Those are sort of the three big things that have to continue to be focused on them. And you know, everybody talks about these great goals and and, and internet connectivity and all those things are vitally important, but the number one thing we have to do is to be willing to challenge assumptions to get to the right outcome. And I just want to point out, I think it was the UNC School of Government, there's been a recent expose about a community in Northeast North Carolina, Aurora, who has just had a remarkable turnaround just because of having a management team in there that, watched, that watches the pennies and the paperclips. And we not only do we need a lot more of that going on in rural North Carolina, Carolina but we need to make sure that we're talking to young people who uh, about the, the their uh, interest and our desire to have them to be public servants uh, you know being a, cha- a finance officer or a city manager you know pays a lot of money these days in, in some in some areas and so being a public servant is not like your dad's Oldsmobile as they used to say.
1: Well, it's, uh, it is an interesting challenge for the lawmakers uh, to be sure that we are uh, doing the best we can for those non-growth areas as well as the growth areas because we're all a part of the same state. And uh, as you said, uh, there's a number of areas where uh, partisanship sort of goes out the window, for example, on broadband. Everyone uh, is uh, very concerned about getting broadband into all the areas. Well, our... our uh, I've got an awkward amount of time here in this segment, so I'm going to wrap up this segment by mentioning again that we're talking with our guest, Dale Falwell, North Carolina State Treasurer. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the state health plan, which is another area of concern that uh, that uh, Dale Falwell and his crew at the North Carolina State Treasurer's Office uh, are concerned with. And we'll do that when we return right after these messages.
0: The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry, because I saw something was wrong.
1: Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense.
0: When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. One in three adults in America have pre-diabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove
1: the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move is called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. Years <throat> 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse pre-diabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test
0: at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Bet he can't say that in reverse.
2: Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo
1: GOAT G-O-A-T Acronym Stands for Greatest of All Time As in Spaghetti Sandwiches for Dinner They're my fave Dad You're the GOAT
0: You don't have to speak teen To be a perfect parent Thousands of teens in foster care Will love you just the same
2: Visit adoptuskids.org, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services,
1: Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.
0: Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers for this week. Our guest is Treasurer Dale Falwell. We've uh, enjoyed the conversation and getting his insight into the effects of the pension plan from COVID 19. The unemployment claims, the state health plan has been updated. Uh, the cost of health care, we've talked about that. We've also talked about NC Cash and how you may have some money awaiting you uh, by going to nccash.com and seeing if indeed the state is holding some money that belongs to you, and they will be delighted to return it. Uh, but in this segment, Dale, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some rather large numbers that are being tossed around from the federal government as a part of the infrastructure bill that would be coming our way. Uh, And uh, we've already received a lot of aid. Uh, And uh, of course, the state of North Carolina's general fund is uh, is in pretty good shape. So all of a sudden, we find ourselves with a lot of options. Uh, But first of all, let's talk a little bit about the likelihood that we're going to get uh, some more federal aid and how that will be used. How, How do you see that happening, and how much impact is that going to have on us?
2: It's uh, it's interesting that oftentimes on this show, we talk about the lottery. Uh, North Carolina has won the lottery in terms of the federal aid, and we just got nearly $3 billion in uh, 48 hours ago uh, from the federal government. And what I mean by the lottery is that hopefully, I don't think this money will ever be replaced, uh, because I hope we never go through anything like this. And it deeply concerns me as the state treasurer and the keeper of the public purse about what ultimate impact that all this uh, borrowing and spending is going to have on the federal budget and ultimately on uh, inflation as well as taxes. But uh, in the meantime, uh, we have received billions and billions of dollars, as I believe the OSBM director has said, we're we're drowning in money. And it's very important that when you win the lottery, you don't go blow it all. and it's Uh, We hope that whether it's the city, counties or the state, that they will start using some of these windfalls to the extent they can to fund some of these really important things that we know are going to be facing them over the long term. Uh, Pension liabilities, healthcare liabilities, but also, as you alluded to, these uh, infrastructure needs. And as we think about infrastructure, it's really important that we don't drive up the cost on ourselves. If we start throwing a lot of money at anything at one period of time, it's going to drive up the cost of piping. It's going to drive up the cost of of water pumps for water and sewer systems. Everything, you're going to create your own inflation, which is going to eat away at the real effectiveness of using this money. So that's why I think the General Assembly is being extremely cautious with not only looking at this money and seeing where its best long-term use is, But also in terms of, as I said in the earlier segment, not to be seduced to borrow even more money at the state level uh, because of these low interest rates. So uh, finding that balance is going to be extremely important uh, for the long term certainty of the citizens as well as the employers and businesses of North Carolina.
1: Does all of this money that they're talking about go directly to the state or does some go directly to counties and cities?
2: Uh, there's two or three uh, versions of this. The first one went mainly to the state. uh, And as I think I've talked about in the past, these numbers are uh, escaping me. But uh, in in the first go around, uh, only uh, one city got the money. uh, And that was Charlotte because of the criteria that there had to be at least 500,000 people in the city. And I know it's hard for your listeners to imagine there's not 500,000 people in the city of Raleigh. But with all the large incorporated areas of Wake County, there actually weren't 500,000 people in the city of Raleigh. So only Charlotte got that money. And then it was also segmented by the size of the county. So for example, four large counties got a a big, huge piece of that $400 million. And those four large counties are Wake, Guilford, and uh, three large counties are Wake, Guilford, and and Mecklenburg. Uh, To put that in context for your listeners, In the first go around, for example, Alamance County, Burlington got 6 million. Guilford County got 92 million. Then the county beside Guilford, Greensboro, Winston Salem, (coughs) excuse me, got 12 million. That just gives you an idea of how disproportional some of those first uh, rounds of financings went.
1: Well, it's interesting. uh, Our first final decision has not been made on this bill, but uh, it does appear that at least. Part of it is going to be passed and uh, maybe all of it. What do you think the chances, what, what what's your best estimate of what is finally going to come out and how much money will we be talking about in North Carolina, according to your best guess right now?
2: I, I think it'll be uh, several billion dollars once again. But as, as your listeners know, by paying attention to your show, even before you were anointed as a doctor recently, congratulations on that that uh, oftentimes when this money comes down from Washington it has strings attached and when that strings attached from Washington it stays attached when it goes through Raleigh and then you, you need that money that leaves the General Assembly and goes down the local level that same string that is attached from Washington. So I hope that the uh, that the uh, Congress whatever they do will put some parameters on, on the on the use of this money so that we can really, use it, and and so that the counties, the cities, or the state are not encouraged to use it or lose it, to be able to make wise, conservative, common-sense decisions which reflect the personality of North Carolinians.
1: Well, there's always a gap between when you get the money and when you can spend it, because as you said a few minutes ago, spending it sometimes uh, takes longer than getting it. So what happens to that money while you have it? Are you able to earn uh, a return on those funds while it's sitting in your bank account?
2: Great point. Uh, we put it to work immediately and overnight repurchase agreements. And as I was alluding to in one of the earlier segments, uh, we got nearly $3 billion uh, yesterday, right before five o'clock. And when we tried to deposit that money with our depository banks, uh, they couldn't handle it and they didn't have enough reserves, But we we got beyond it, uh, and it remains in interest-bearing accounts. It's not earning as much interest as it would have been if Harlan Bowles was the state treasurer, because you know government bonds were yielding ten percent back then, and you and I both remember that period. But uh, putting it in interest-bearing accounts is just another example of us watching the pennies and paperclips, no matter how small the amount is.
1: Finally, uh, as we wrap up this uh, edition of Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Dale Falwell, the General Assembly is in town and is working away at legislation. What legislation is pending that that you have interest in as state treasurer? What are the items that you are hoping will be passed and what are the ones you're concerned about?
2: The number one item for any state treasurer in North Carolina is to get the pension plan fully funded to get the state health plan fully funded. But we have some additional concerns now, and that is that the state health plan has expended. Many many of these expenditures were because of federal mandates has expended and will expend nearly $175 million on the testing and treatment and the administering of the COVID-19 vaccine. Your listeners may be scratching their head and say, well, I thought the vaccine was free. But we are finding where people are being charged to the state health plan to administer the vaccine, even though the vaccine itself is free. Uh, We are finding evidence of people being charged a facility fee, a facility fee for a shot in their arm. I mean, this is what we've talked about in the earlier segment with the cartelization and the secretiveness of the healthcare industry in North Carolina. The power is going into the hands of fewer and fewer people who can just charge whatever they want to. And the consumers of the state aren't being protected. And the fourth thing is that the General Assembly took nearly $200 million last year to balance the budget out of the state health plan reserves. So our number one agenda item right now is to get the pension plan fully funded, get the state health plan fully funded, and to get the money reimbursed back to the state health plan for the testing and treatment and the administering of the vaccines, as well as the repayment back into the reserve account that was taken out last year. And these are also goals and initiatives that the state employees association in North Carolina are where there's no space between us on this subject is to get these things fully funded. Then, of course, we have about uh, less than a dozen agency bills that uh, all try to make our jobs more efficient at the treasurer's office. Uh, all we do here is we make money and save money. That's all we do. We try to save money in the pension, in the healthcare, and the pharmaceutical spend. We try to save money in the administering of the what it costs to actually run this pension system, and then of course we try to make money in the in, on the investments. So any we don't ask for anything we don't need at the treasurer's office because everything that we ask for is along the lines of making money or saving money for those that teach, those that protect, those that otherwise serve, and of course taxpayers like them.
1: I know one of your major concerns was uh, getting a cap on the management fees from those advisors who are handling a lot of the uh, state's investments. Uh, It does take expertise to run these, and it is wise to have managers, but you were... uh, Concerned about the fees that we were paying. Tell us a little bit about where you stand on that now.
2: We're, we're very excited to report that uh, when I would apply for the job to be the chief financial officer and keeper of the public purse and the state treasurer. And let me tell you why I differentiate between applying for the job and running for office. We have too many people across this state and across this country who run for public office. And when they get to Raleigh or get they get to Washington, they don't do what they told the employer, the voter they were going to do. I don't know if any of your listeners, including the ones uh, sitting there with you right now, who could keep their job if they put one thing on the job application. Then when they got the job, they did something different. So when I applied for the job to be the state treasurer of North Carolina, we uh, Wall Street fees had ballooned from 50 to 700 million dollars per year from the time. In 16 years since Harlan Bull was the state treasurer, we've been fortunate to have reduced Wall Street fees, $350 million over the last four years. And all that money stays in the pension plan to provide benefits for those that teach, protect, and otherwise serve.
1: That's a, that's a lot of progress. Uh, uh, and of course, as the investments go on, they are usually paid on the, uh, the amount of money. So. I guess those fees will go up in one way, but the percentage of the amount of fees paid is what you're concerned about.
2: We just got designated in the zero percentile. That's where I spent most of my school career in the zero percentile. And when we compared our fee structure to those uh, pension plans, our size around the world, we're very proud of that.
1: Well, uh, as well, you should be. And that's, that's great. Well, I, I've, uh, sort of run out of enough time to ask another question of our state treasurer dale falwell who has been a frequent guest on our program and he shares a great update on what's going on with uh, the money that actually belongs to the citizens of north carolina one way or the other our program has been produced by jason kong he promises me he'll have another interesting guest next week and i'm sure he will if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com need to hear the entire broadcast are the two segments that you might have missed if you're listening to the half-hour version. Until, until next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody.
0: Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers.